0: Everyone, Welcome to Faith in the Folds, podcast for ministry, biblical studies, and Christian living. I'm your host, Kevin Bird. Now at 35, I'm not very old, but I am old enough to remember when Wikipedia didn't exist. We had a very impressive-looking set of black and brown world book encyclopedias with gold-edge pages in my house when I was little. And you know, come to think of it, I wonder if they're still there. Mom, Dad, if you're listening, can you comment below? That's what I used for reports when I was in elementary and middle school. It was cutting-edge stuff until eventually we got an encyclopedia set on, wait for it, CD-ROM. Man, that was big stuff. But these days, we have Wikipedia, and I haven't looked back since. Now, sure, the convenience of Wikipedia does create some problems, especially if you're wanting to use Wikipedia as an authoritative source. Still, it's actually pretty useful to get a general—emphasis on general—to get a general idea about a particular topic. Take a look at here at the article on Christianity if you're watching. How many links to other topics do you see in the first sentence? Six. There are six links to other topics just in the first sentence of the article on Christianity. Now, I think this is the real strength of sites like Wikipedia. Yes, the articles are, again, generally useful. But the hyperlinks can really enrich your reading and take your understanding of your subject to a whole new level. Honestly, the Bible operates in much the same way. It is a hyperlinked text. These texts look forward to God's ultimate fulfillment of His promises in the life and work of Jesus, and look backward to remind God's people of the promises made long ago that are ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. Every book of the Bible does this in one way or another. We see this kind of cross-referencing, no pun intended, most clearly in the narrative portions of the Bible, which contain records of God's interactions with various leaders from earliest history through the Exodus, the confederation of Israelite tribes, the united and divided Israelite kingdoms, certain portions of the prophets, and the Gospels and Acts. It makes sense for these narratives to interweave many of the same themes God's faithful love, His grace, mercy, judgment, humanity's sin and rebellion and the consequences thereof, and also the positive effects of repentance. But this isn't true of just the narratives. Look at the Psalms. How many times did the earliest Christians appeal to certain Psalms to understand the events they experienced or what happened to Jesus? Now sure, this probably doesn't surprise you, especially if you've grown up in church. But did you know the book of Proverbs is hyperlinked in much the same way. Yes, Proverbs refers to things in the past and foreshadows things to come in the future, but in a way unlike the rest of the Old Testament. Let me introduce you to Lady Wisdom, and in just a bit she's going to tell us about Jesus. One of the first things we need to keep in mind about the book of Proverbs is that the primary audience for Proverbs is a young man. Proverbs 1 verse 8 makes us clear, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Now obviously the wisdom of Proverbs is available to everyone, but if we keep in mind the primary audience of Proverbs is a young man, It's easier to understand one reason for why wisdom is personified throughout Proverbs as a woman worth getting to know. Old Testament scholars often refer to her as Lady Wisdom. Another reason why wisdom is personified as a woman is this. In Proverbs 1, verse 20 and following, the Hebrew word for wisdom is grammatically feminine, kind of like how la mesa, Spanish for the table, is also grammatically feminine. This fact of Hebrew grammar is another reason why Wisdom is personified as a woman. Now let's take a look at Proverbs 1, verses 20 through 21. Wisdom cries out in the street. In the squares, she raises her voice. At the busiest corner, she cries out. And at the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. Later on in Proverbs 9, verses four through six, Lady Wisdom herself speaks. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Here, at the beginning of Proverbs, and let me say that the first nine chapters of Proverbs form a long introduction to the entire book. The real collection of Proverbs doesn't actually start until chapter 10. So here, at the beginning of Proverbs, Lady Wisdom invites us to listen, and to listen well. We reject her invitation at our own peril, and to borrow a line from Monty Python, it's perilous peril. In the course of this introduction, Lady Wisdom gets to say a little more about herself. And this is where things start to get interesting. Let's check out Proverbs 8, verses 22 through 31. I'll read selections from these verses, and let's pay careful attention to how Lady Wisdom works hand-in-hand with God. The Lord created me at the beginning of His work, the first of His acts long ago. Ages ago I was set up, at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth when he had not yet made earth and fields or the world's first bits of soil. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master worker, and I was daily his delight. Rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the human race. Now, according to these verses, Lady Wisdom existed before the creation of the earth, and she was there with God, creating both heaven and earth like a master worker. And Proverbs isn't the only work that details wisdom's hand in creation— In the first century B.C., a popular work attributed to Solomon, but obviously written long after his death, takes a deep look at God's wisdom and also personifies wisdom. The result is similar, but also exceeds what Proverbs says to some degree. Now, Even though this book, called The Wisdom of Solomon, isn't in the Old or New Testament canon, it was very popular among Jews during the first century A.D., By the way, you can find it if you have a Catholic Bible lying around. The narrator of this book speaks as if he were Solomon, so listen to what he says about wisdom in chapters 7 and 8. For it is God who gave me unerring knowledge of what exists, to know the structure of the world and the activity of the elements, the beginning and end and middle of times, the alternations of the solstices and the changes of the seasons the cycles of the year and the constellations of the stars, the natures of animals and the tempers of wild animals, the powers of spirits and the thoughts of human beings, the varieties of plants and the virtues of roots. I learned both what is secret and what is manifest, for wisdom the fashioner of all things taught me. There is in her a spirit That is, intelligent, holy, unique, manifold, subtle, mobile, clear, unpolluted, distinct, invulnerable, loving the good, keen, irresistible, beneficent, humane, steadfast, sure, free from anxiety, all-powerful, overseeing all, and penetrating through all spirits that are intelligent, pure, and altogether subtle. For wisdom is more mobile than any motion. Because of her pureness, she pervades and penetrates all things. For she is a breath of the power of God, and a pure emanation of the glory of the Almighty. Therefore nothing defiled gains entrance into her. For she is a reflection of eternal light, a spotless mirror of the working of God, and an image of His goodness. Although she is but one, she can do all things, and while remaining in herself, she renews all things. In every generation she passes into holy souls and makes them friends of God and prophets, for God loves nothing so much as the person who lives with wisdom. She is more beautiful than the sun, and excels every constellation of the stars. Compared with the light, she is found to be superior, for it is succeeded by the night, but against wisdom evil does not prevail. She she reaches mightily from one end of the earth to the other. And she orders all things well. I loved her and sought her for my youth. I desired to take her for my bride and became enamored of her beauty. She glorifies her noble birth by living with God. And the Lord of all loves her. For she is an initiate in the knowledge of God and an associate in his works. If riches are a desirable possession in life, what is richer than wisdom, the active cause of all things? And if understanding is effective, who more than she is fashioner of what exists? So, let's review. In Proverbs and the Wisdom of Solomon, wisdom is described as existing before creation. She plays an active role in creating with God and is the image of God's goodness. Okay, New Testament Christians, who does this remind us of? I hope you see clear connections with what is said about wisdom and with what the New Testament says about Jesus. Let's take a look at John 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. John makes this clear. Jesus was in the beginning with God and created the world with God. But we could also turn to Colossians 1, verses 15 through 19. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In these verses, Jesus is the image of God, and once again, Paul tells us he created all things with God. The book of Hebrews also says similar things about Jesus. Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 3. Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now occasionally, a certain book of the Bible will make a unique contribution to our understanding of Jesus. Here's an example. The Gospel of John reports a series of I Am statements by Jesus that are unique to his gospel. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine, and so on. Another example is this. The book of Hebrews is the only book in the New Testament that describes Jesus as a priest in the order of Melchizedek. If we didn't have the Gospel of John or Hebrews, we might not understand how Jesus fits or operates in these ways. But when we compare what is said about wisdom in Proverbs and the Wisdom of Solomon, with what not just one, but three different authors in the New Testament say. It's crystal clear to me what the New Testament authors were doing. Because of how well-known Proverbs and the Wisdom of Solomon were in the first century A.D., John, Paul, and the author of Hebrews—and I think the strongest case is that someone other than Paul wrote it— But these authors were aware of what many Jews in their day already thought about wisdom. So when it came time to describing the extraordinary greatness of Jesus, they had ready-made categories they could point to. It's something like this. All the greatest things said in the past about God's wisdom are truly realized and incarnate in Jesus. Now, obviously, there are some differences, right? Wisdom is a created being. Jesus is not a created being. Wisdom is the image of God's goodness. Jesus is the image of God Himself. Still, the point is this John, Paul, and the author of Hebrews made this connection. They saw that Proverbs and the deuterocanonical book. Wisdom of Solomon gave them well-known categories for how to describe Jesus. Basically, it's like they said, y'all have heard these things about wisdom, so we're here to tell you that Jesus is the Incarnate Wisdom of God, and guess what? He's even more than that. They read Proverbs, like the hyperlinked text that it is, and saw that the truest and fullest expression of God's wisdom is his son, Jesus the Christ.